The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us here, however we find ourselves in this room right now, whatever brought us here today. Help us to believe that you have created this moment, that you have something you want us to hear, something to trust. Help us to believe that you see us now in all of our complexity, in all of our contradictions, in all the ways that we get it and don't get it. You see us in all of our beauty and all of our struggle. And your response is always to be with us. Always to be with us, to heal, to restore, to renew. And so give us grace now to be present to your presence here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thomas had been hearing nonsense for a week. He'd heard his friends talk about this Jesus had risen again nonsense. I just want a shred of proof. I mean, who can blame him, really? I mean, come on. Dead people tend to stay dead, exactly. And yet here's Thomas saying, until I can see this for myself, until I'm sorry. You guys, are you okay? Who hurt you? Maybe Thomas was saying that to some of these disciples. I don't know. 
He's simply being honest. And thank God for an honest portrayal of what belief actually looks like in the beloved community of Jesus. It's a new kind of belief. It's a new belief that includes doubts and all manner of questions and shortcomings, etc. And it's a new belief that includes scars and all manner of woundedness. So first, a new belief that includes doubt and all manner of shortcomings. Not that doubt's a shortcoming, but we're going to see that, hey, these disciples, they're scared. They're probably fearful for their life. I'd imagine if they're gathering together, together, they're, they're probably talking to themselves. I mean, we pick up the story from last week. Remember Mary, the mother of uh, James and the other women, and Mary Magdalene and Johanna. They'd announced to the disciples that they went to the tomb, and an angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen. And they go back and they tell the disciples, and of course, they're mansplained, as we talked about last week. Luke is the mansplaining version of the resurrection, where they said, oh, those are just, those are just idle tales, which in Greek is... BS, basically. And Jesus doesn't let shame and locked doors ever keep him out. Because that evening, he barges right into this group of disciples, probably sitting around, as I was saying, doing what human beings do in situations like that with high anxiety and loss and sorrow and confusion. They're probably blaming one another. They're probably doing a little scapegoating to help their own anxiety come down. Uh, But Jesus barges right in because as one man says, God is always saying an insistent yes to all of our polite no thank yous. And in comes Jesus. But not everyone was there for that appearance. Thomas missed it. And so he had been with this week of telling them, this is nonsense. But into that very room a week later, Jesus Christ appears. His first words, peace be with you. Because apparently he seemingly does this to people. He shows up unannounced. Of course, I think in here some disciples thinking to themselves, you know, it's been two or three times now where you just pop in and say, peace be with you, because you've terrified us. So maybe just give us a little warning next time. But in comes Jesus. And showing up for Thomas, which is so instructive, because it tells us something. It, he doesn't begrudge your doubts, your questions, any of it. He didn't judge Thomas for doubting. He offered Thomas peace. That's really important, really important. Jesus pursues people after his resurrection, and I'm so grateful that one of those he pursues is someone human enough to doubt, because doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's a huge component of an honest faith, which is the kind of faith Jesus invites you into. He never invites anyone into complete certitude. Jesus never made it about believing perfectly or actually doing anything else perfectly for that matter. Jesus takes you as you are with your doubts and questions and all the messiness of what it means to be human. He takes you as you are. I love this quote I found a few years ago on this passage from an Episcopal priest in Canada named Daniel Brereton. He said this, Mary Magdalene needed to hear her name spoken in order to believe. Peter needed to hear, peace be with you, and be forgiven to believe. Thomas needed to touch the wounded places to believe. Paul needed to be knocked off of his high horse to believe. God meets us where we are. 
In Jesus, Mary found the one who called her by name. In Jesus, Peter found the one who forgave the past and empowered for the future. In Jesus, Thomas found the one who shares our pain and helps us to transcend it. In Jesus, Paul found the one he'd been waiting for but never expected. In Jesus, I found that same one. So with Mary, I say, I've seen the Lord. With Peter, I say, Lord, you know I love you. With Thomas, I say, my Lord and my God. And with Paul, I say, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Thomas has the courage to name the truth about himself. And his vulnerability sets the table for the miracle of grace that will take place in his life. And that vulnerability is an encouragement to bring our whole selves to Jesus. At City Church San Francisco, we invite you to bring your whole self into the community of Jesus with all your questions, with who God has made you glorious to, gloriously to be, with all your life, your story, your scars, your victories, and otherwise. It's the oxygen needed for you to breathe in the grace of Jesus. In 25 and a half years of sharing the story and the faith of Jesus with San Franciscans, I can report that when we create space for people to be safe with all they bring to the table, it makes room mysteriously for the fresh wind of the Spirit. And she will breathe the grace of Jesus into a person's life, into a community, and empower them to be good news for their community so resurrection can happen over and over and over again. That's what takes place. It's a new belief that includes doubts and all manner of shortcomings. Now, secondly, it's a new belief that includes scars and all manner of woundedness in our life. Jesus walks towards Thomas with all of his scars and leads by showing them, by showing them, saying in effect, I know your wounds, here are mine. Here are mine. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to be cursed. I know what it's like to be crucified. Thomas, come here. Touch my side. Touch my hands. Move from doubting to belief in whatever way you can right now. You know, we wear our scars. And some of these scars we're really proud of. Like, I have like a number of bizarre fingers here that have been compounded, broken, and everything else. Um, I can tell you the story of my broken collarbone when I was in fourth grade. It's a great story. Some of you like to talk about our scars sometimes, but sometimes we don't. Because not all scars have great stories behind them, like the ones on my face, for example. I mean, I remember getting my first bit of acne in sixth grade. And by eighth grade, my face was completely covered. And it wasn't just acne. I would have taken acne. It was actually inflamed. This is really traumatizing. Inflamed cistulas. And they're as bad as it sounds. <laughs> and painful as it sounds. I have to have them lanced on occasion. I was an athlete. I wore a catcher's mask. And then I wore a football's mask for over half the year in Florida. Yeah, not good for someone who was ailing as I was with acne. It was a nightmare. It was painful physically. It was painful emotionally. 
I can remember as a kid each day I would inspect my face in the mirror before school and none of the treatments were working, not even remotely. My once clear complexion, and you know, I just have to tell you this, perfect dimples on both cheeks. That's all I was told from the time I was born until I was like a seventh grader. It was like, look at those dimples. And then the dimples were gone forever. Gone. It was puberty and adolescent hell. I remember when I was 15 years old, I went on a trip with my grandmother to Europe. She took us there. It was kind of one of those 25 countries in 15 days kind of trips, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's great. Love the Basilica at Rome. Yes, now and on, you know. And there were two younger women on this trip, and they kind of like took these young kids, me and my sister, under their wings. And one day they looked at my face. I mean, I could tell they'd been looking. at Everybody in my mind was looking at my face in those days. And they said to me, he said, you know, I think the girls are going to really like you because a lot of girls like a ruddy complexion. I know. And they said, just think, you kind of look like Johnny Cash. So I just started consoling myself. I look like Johnny Cash. And then I actually saw Johnny Cash. And I'm like, no, no, no. He has no idea what I'm dealing with. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, it was only about seven or eight years ago I was doing a wedding in Sonoma County, and I was sitting in a restaurant, at a bar in a restaurant, and someone who was completely inebriated looked over at me and said, hey, buddy, were you a boxer at a previous life? And I, I didn't get it. It had been so long since anybody had made fun of my scars. And I sat there, and I was like, what, what? And then it hit me. So in Christian love, I walked over to him and knocked him off his stool, <laughs> just kidding. I didn't, I didn't even think that. I went over and shared the gospel with him, of course. No. What I actually did is I got up and walked out. But I tell you something, what's interesting, and I processed this with my therapist for a long time, is the depth that it still hit me. Here I was at the time, 52, probably 51 or 2 years old, and I felt it in my body. It was deep. It's still deep. I hadn't felt that way since junior or senior high. So scars, either you hearing me talk about mine or you contemplating yours runs deep. And here's where it goes to. It runs straight to shame. It runs straight to shame, which told me that my body, this is what shame told me, my body, my face was no longer acceptable or worthy of the kind of respect and love that others with a clear complexion had. Now, I didn't articulate it that perfectly when I was an eighth grader, but that's what was going on. And I've listened now to 31 years as a pastor of stories. It's one of the great privileges, actually, of being a minister, is hearing so many stories. And there are stories of shame, stories of scars, stories that shame has had such a massive impact. It's universal. It steals and has stolen the joy of living for us. But think about this. Shame for what? Scars proclaim that you have actually lived a life. Right? I've actually lived a life. 
a real one that produces scars and stretch marks and emotional triggers and nightmares and joys and redemption and ecstasy and beauty, all of it. And we have a culture telling us that we aren't allowed to look like we have lived each day consecutively since the day we were born. But in fact, we have. And the power of scars is that they tell stories of accidents and disease, of childbirth, of loss, of failure, of life, of how long we have been on this earth and what has happened to us. And if to us, by necessity, to our bodies. Because everything that happens to us in our life happens to our bodies. Every act of love, every insult, every moment of pleasure, every interaction with humans, every hateful thing we've said or had said to us, it happens to our bodies. Every kindness, sorrow, ounce of laughter, we carry it with us in some form or another. We are walking embodiments of our unique story and our scars that aren't optional. But what is optional is the shame that comes from it. Broderick Greer, who's a brilliant young priest in Denver, writes this. He says, Jesus authenticates his resurrection through showing his apostles the physical signs of his suffering. And that is the threat of moral authority. People like Jesus pose a first-hand experience with imperial brutality and a willingness to talk about it. Quote, this is what happened to me, unquote, may be the most singularly powerful lines a person can utter. Jesus asks us with his scars to hear his statement of what happened to him and every victim's statement of this happened to me. His resurrection body, it didn't fix everything. It didn't make him into a perfectly smooth-skinned savior with six-pack abs. No, he takes his scars shows up with the scars, which means that Jesus had no shame about his body. He didn't try to hide the mark or conceal them in any way. And we should not be surprised by that because Jesus never gave us any indication in his life that he was afraid or ashamed of the human body, however he encountered it. He never recalled from diseased or deformed bodies. He reached out his hands specifically to touch lepers, corpses, blind men, whose people whose legs didn't work anymore. Jesus was decidedly pro-body. You think about it. God is so pro-body that he took on a body and took on human flesh. See, he knew, Jesus, that he would be known by his scars and so are we. We could only really be known and know others actually when we begin to show our scars. When someone shares their failures with me, I feel, I don't know about you, but when someone shares their failures with me, I feel less alone in this world. That's the power of that vulnerability. How about you? As one of my favorite theologians, Beyonce Knowles Carter, says, show me your scars 
and I won't walk away. She wrote those words most likely in the throes of a therapeutic process with her husband who had been unfaithful. And I think what Queen B, as my children have taught me to call her, is saying is that she can continue this relationship only if she is in partnership with someone who will show her the woundedness of soul that gave way to that kind of behavior that blew them up. Otherwise, it can't be healed. She can't trust again and she's done. You see, this is why, friends, the inward journey of knowing yourself and your story is just so vitally important. Because if you don't know yourself, and I'm talking about the self that God actually made and delights in, not the self that we project to be rewarded and so on. But when you begin to know that, if you don't know yourself, you can't show your scars with any kind of depth. But when the scars are shown, understood, mutually shared, well, that's when the gospel healing begins. That's when healing takes place. Nadia Bowles-Weber said this in her book, Shameless, Our scars are part of our story, but they are not its conclusion. The past is ours and will always be a part of us, and yet it is not all there is. It's a process, moving from wounds to scars to grief to showing those scars. It takes time and maybe therapy and maybe being vulnerable in community and maybe working through the 12 steps and maybe making a lot of mistakes and maybe experiencing a tiny bit of joy. These bodies of ours are a holy mix of dirt and the very breath of God. We also believe that human bodies are so spiritually rich, as I said, that even God wanted to have one. A body that would, like you, like me, add on scars. These bodies of yours, every scar and bump, every glorious mark of age or smoothness of youth, we get to keep it all. All our stories, our scars, everything that's happened to us, they don't get erased, but we have freedom to move beyond them so that while part of our story, these scars are not the final word on our story. Jesus' scars tell us that it can lead to new life. Every wound, every misstep, every mistake. And so I invite you today to hear Jesus. Hear Jesus today speaking peace to you in the midst of your doubts and questions. Hear Jesus calling you into an authentic belief with doubts and questions and scars. Maybe hear Jesus editing Queen B because only Jesus gets to edit Queen B. Saying, show me your scars. I'm here to share mine with you. And I will never walk away. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for Thomas. We thank you for his honest faith. We're all doubting in all our own ways and all our own journeys. And we carry these scars 
and we're not sure what to do with them, but we know this. You're not afraid of them. You don't walk away from them. You always move forward with us, inviting us to take one step at a time, one day at a time, living in your healing presence. And so fill us with yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.